0: I got everything I want cry nobody even noticed I saw them standing right there kind of thought they might care I had a dream I got everything I wanted when And just say, as long as I'm here, no one can hurt me.
1: Good morning. My name is Kevin Mercer and my pronouns are he, his. I'm a member of your board of trustees and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and professional staff. Much appreciation goes out to the many lay leaders and volunteers whose incredible efforts and dedication help keep us connected. Whomever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests joining in worship this morning. We encourage you to fill out the visitor form in the lobby or online and connect with us and connect with others in the virtual or in-person social hour after the service there's coffee i made it <laughs> and jenny made it too um so that we may meet and welcome you finally for those attending our worship at the sanctuary at the owen brown Interfaith center this morning please take a moment to silence your cell phones or other electronic devices and i do have a few announcements this morning UUCC drop-in newcomer class series concludes at 11.30 today in the music room downstairs. If you are looking to get connected with others and learn about UUCC and Unitarian Universalism, we invite you to join us for today's class. The topic will be UU history, and it will be led by Kathy Parker and Sarah Davidson. UUCC's annual Halloween party for the entire Owen Brown community is back. And you are invited. For years, the youth of UUCC have planned and executed an annual Halloween party, and the tradition returns in its new and improved outdoor format. This evening from 6 to 8, join us for a free family-friendly Halloween event. Come take a haunted museum tour with one of our guides, play carnival games, enjoy candy and crafts in the party tent, We can't wait to celebrate this spooky season with you. This is a fully outdoor event for the whole family. Costumes are welcome and encouraged. And now we'll have an auction skit brought to you by the Cadenceville Progressive Dinner! like yes it is folks drinks and appetizers wait this is a twist they seem to be driving to dinner from to their next location and now we are on to dinner for those of you watching at home it looks delicious. and rounding out the evening is something sweet and of course good conversation throughout the evening Please join us at the annual UUCC auction on Saturday, November the 12th, where you can bid on this and many other fantastic items and events. The doors open at 345. Bidding for the live auction starts at five. The silent auction opens online on Wednesday, the Wednesday before on November the 9th. Donations are accepted until November the 5th. Registration to participate in the silent auction and in-person or Zoom bidding is open right now. There is a registration fee of just $10 per person. And now an announcement from our Director of Religious Education, Robin Sloan!
2: Now I'm really glad he reminded me, or he told me he was going to do that. <laughs> um, good morning, everyone. I wanted to talk to you about reflection groups because last week, if you were here or listened to the service, we talked about the dimensions of faith development that we go through and that it's a spiral and that we need to keep learning and keep developing our faith. It's not something that you do one thing and then you've arrived and you're done for the rest of life. That's not how it works. So sign up for a reflection group. If you're new, It's a great way to get to meet other people at UUCC. If you've been around a long time, maybe it's time to do a little refresher and think about your spirituality. So you can sign up by going to the website underneath the top menu under Programs. You can get to Reflection Groups. There's a list. There are different times of day, different days of the week. Sign up. It's a fun thing. Thank you
3: morning, family. Always a pleasure to get back to my roots, my UUCC family tree. Believe it or not, five Octobers ago, you all were ordaining me. Twenty-five Octobers ago, I was a student at Morgan State in a philosophy class with all my classmates and my professor looking at me like I was crazy. And me thinking, I'm not the only one. (laughs) There we were, squarely rooted in a debate about human nature. Not so much what a human does, but why that human does it. To one's own self, what is true. My professor said, some actions are selfless. And I replied, I don't think any actions are truly selfless. To me, everything the self does is rooted in self-interest. It's just a question of what the self defines as its best interest. He said, you're crazy. If I help an old lady on the side of the road, fix her flat tire, I'm doing that good deed for her to which I said, yes. And it's also for you. Fixing someone's flat tire aligns with your own spiritual, moral and or ethical values of goodness probably also makes you feel good to feel useful. It pleases you. It's a thing that she needs to receive, but it's also everything you want and need to give. So, which need came first? Yours or hers? My professor was stumped. My classmates were not pleased. (laughs) Like I was the bad apple serpent in their Garden of Eden tree trying like hell to spoil paradise for all humanity, for all eternity. All I was saying in October 1997 was essentially what Sigmund Freud was saying in October 1911 and what Janet Jackson was singing about in October of 1985, The Pleasure Principle. Every human action and interaction is unconsciously rooted in self-satisfaction, seeking pleasure and or avoiding pain, but This root cause is almost never obvious. The key word here is unconscious. Quiet as it's kept. Most people's true self-interests are vested. They play their heart's deepest agenda so close to the vest that their skin in the game is hidden even from themselves. Underground motivations rooted in early family of origin experiences of pain and pleasure give rise to every life relationship, family of choice, friends, lovers, significant others, and extended family, work family, spiritual family, political family. Why is this important? Because self-awareness gives rise to self-worth and to self-preservation, healthy boundaries. And because knowing why you do something can help keep you from overdoing it. But don't take my word for it. Simply take this journey with us this morning. If the pleasure principle is the answer, then the root question is, what truly pleases you at the deepest level? What do you say is your highest good? Or, as many a good bartender would ask, what's your pleasure?
4: Good morning to everyone this morning. Thanks especially to those who are also participating from home and who are not in the sanctuary with us today, welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia, also known as UUCC. My name is Colette Gelwicks. I use she, her pronouns, and it's my honor and pleasure to be serving as worship associate this morning in the absence of our minister, the Reverend Paige Getty, and to support Anthony Jenkins, who I am pleased to welcome back to UUCC. As are all of you, obviously (laughs) and welcome as well to any guests that we have joining us this morning, any newcomers. We are especially glad that you're here. We encourage you to stay during the social hour after the service and fill out the visitor form so that we may connect with you and find out more about you and welcome you into this community. You can find the order of service using the QR code that I believe will be shown on the screen. There it is. Um, We do have a few copies in the back. Next to those, we also have these. So if you are here in the sanctuary, I hope you grabbed one of these. These are reflection questions for after the time for all ages. They are also in the order of service online. So you can find those there as well. For those who'd like a hearing assist device, you can find those in the back with the tech booth. Phil is waving his hand right now. Thanks, Phil. We will be honoring community members personal joys and sorrows a little bit later in the service, so you can email yours to joys at uucolumbia.net or write them in the book at the back of the sanctuary next to Chris who's standing there. All right, and finally, for those who are participating remotely now is the perfect time to get your own chalice if you have one bowl with stones and water so that you can fully participate in the service today. And now, everyone, settle in. Ground yourself in whatever feels right to you at this moment. Take a nice deep breath as we hear the ringing of the bell calling us into worship. This morning, we'll open our hearts to worship with the words that close the 1977 film, Annie Hall. You know that old joke, a guy walks into a psychiatrist's office and says, hey doc, my brother's crazy, he thinks he's a chicken. And the doc says, why don't you turn him in? And The guy says, I would, but I need the eggs. I guess that's how I feel about relationships. They're totally crazy, irrational, and absurd, but we keep going through it because we need the eggs.
3: This morning's prelude is a 2014 offering composed by Sam Smith and Jimmy Napes about a marriage relationship they both observed firsthand in which someone decided to stay with a partner they knew was cheating on them and lying about it. For the record, both Jimmy and Sam thought it was a crazy decision to stay, but they both agreed to give voice to the complexity of that heart's need anyway. This is called, I'm not the only one.
4: Would you mind coming up now to help light the chalice? Thank you. This morning's chalice lighting is a bit of philosophy and a bit of relationship advice from Shakespeare's Hamlet. There you go, got it, nice, thank you. All right, Hamlet, act one, scene three. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night, the day, Thou canst not, then, be false to any man.
3: I want to invite our children up now for our time for all ages, if you wish, to the frontier. Fifty-eight Octobers ago, Shell Silverstein's The Giving Tree was released. It would go on to sell ten, 10 million copies. There are probably ten million interpretations of The Giving Tree. Arguably, it is the most argued about children's book in human history. For some, it is pleasurably uplifting, unconditional love, selfless giving. For others, it is painfully upsetting, exploitative narcissism, selfish manipulation. Some interpret the tree boy relationship religiously as the connection between God and humanity. Some interpret it environmentally, mother nature and humanity. For some, the relationship is two friends or two lovers. For others, it's clearly a mother-child situation. For many, the giving tree is all of the above. I would say, whatever you say is true about the giving tree says says a lot about what has been true for you in your life relationships. This morning, I invite you to consider or reconsider the story in that context using it as a tool to explore the roots of your own life story in ways you may not have before. To that end, this morning's Time for All Ages is in two parts, two short film giving tree interpretations, one pre-sermon, one post-sermon. First up is this award-winning 2016 version animated by Jordan Hendrickson, narrated by Liam (laughs) Mylaro.
5: Once there was a boy, and a tree, and the tree loved the little boy, because every day he'd run to her and gather her leaves, and swing on her branches, eat her apples, and take a nap under her shade. And he too loved the tree very much, and the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. Then one day the boy returned, and the tree was overjoyed. Come, boy, come, she said, climb up my trunk and swing on my branches and play in my shade and be happy. But I'm too old to play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I need money. I'm sorry, said the tree. I have only leaves and apples. But here, sell my apples in the city, then you'll have money and you'll be happy. So the boy climbed the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away, and the tree was happy. Of a school stayed away for even longer and the tree was sad Then one day the boy came back and the tree shook with joy come boy come she said climb up my trunk and play in my shade and be happy but I'm too busy to climb trees said the boy I want to get married and have kids and I need a house to keep us warm I have no house, said the tree, but cut off my branches and build a house, then you'll be warm and you'll be happy. So the boy cut off her branches and carried them off, and the tree was happy. was away for a long time, but when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. I am too old and sad to play, said the boy. I need a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? I have no boat, said the tree, but cut down my trunk and make a boat. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk, made his boat. Sailed away, and the tree was happy. And after a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples branches and my trunk are all gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. I'm too old to swing on branches, and I'm too tired to climb. I don't need very much now, just a quiet place to sit and rest. Well, said the tree, you know an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, come sit down and rest. So the boy sat down on her stump to rest the tree was happy.
3: I invite you to give your attention to the focus questions in your order of service. Do some contemplating as we continue excavating. Give some thought to what your answers might be right now. See if any of your philosophies get pruned or uprooted while we do all this double digging. Is that clear as mud? 38 Octobers ago, 1984, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah was released. It would go on to be covered by 300 different artists. There are probably 300 million interpretation of, of the song's meaning. For some, it is biblical, branching out of the relationship stories of both Samson and Delilah, David and Bathsheba. Others say the root cause of the song, like the Bible book, Song of Songs, is pleasure, equally spiritual and sexual. For some, hallelujah is a blues rooted in selfish pain, humanity's brokenness. For others, it is a gospel of selfless love, humanity's healing. For Cohen himself, hallelujah was messy. It was all about reconciling and embracing a world full of conflicts, ironically. For me, hallelujah is all about relationships. Whatever you say is true about hallelujah, says a lot about what has been true for you and your life relationships. I invite you now to please rise as you are able in mind, body, or spirit. We will give voice to three verses of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, the lyrics of which will be on the screen for you. On the third verse, we will bid our children farewell to their RE classes. And if you're in doubt vocally, follow Vicky.
0: Faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to the kitchen chair, she broke her throne and she cut your hair, and from your lips she drew the heart. Baby, I've been here before, I've seen this room and I've walked this floor. I used to live alone before I knew you. Well, I've seen your flag on the marble arch. Love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a brush.
3: this court, we will move through our three sermon interactions reflectively, interactively. When I give you this high sign, I'll invite you to say, yes, and? Let's try it. To thine own self be true. Every human self's origin story is rooted in the earth of its birth mother. For better or for worse, this is the first relationship, and it's messy. Metaphorically speaking, the womb environment is giving very much Garden of Eden, paradise. All you can eat, drink, and sleep. Few growing pains here and there, but mostly Pleasure Island. And then, out of nowhere, you're uprooted. Suddenly, you find yourself in some kind of family of origin. Blood, blended, adopted, foster, etc. Those first relationships are your principal balance. Original pains and pleasures accruing self-interest for a lifetime. Eventually, we grow up and branch out. We never quite grow out of our inner child. And those primary traumas and dramas often grow out into the epic blowouts of our adulthood in not-so-obvious ways. To paraphrase A Course in Miracles, you are almost never upset for the reason you think. I was born into a giving tree family doing for others was our root cause. Giving equals selfless read pleasure receiving equals selfish read pain. If you gave us a gift or an act of service, we had to give you back a better one immediately. You couldn't even give us a compliment. The immediate reply to thank you was no, no, thank you (laughs) my pleasure. We were always giving, fixing, being of use, doing the most. So what did I do most of the time? Dishes. <laughs> most people didn't want to do dishes and I was glad to take it off their plate. Yes. Let's dig into a root cause analysis, shall we? Dishwashing is a very necessary and much appreciated act of service. And I am happy to serve. These are the apples, all true. Yes. Ma'am. I am highly kinesthetic. The sensations and motions of dishwashing are for me self-satisfying and pleasing to my skin, and low-key meditative, because moving my hands grounds me. These are the branches behind the apples, all true. Yes. Ma'am. I don't fully rest until the dishes are done. (laughs) To me, use dishes equal time, the time it will take to wash them, and space, what you can't do with the space currently occupied by the unwashed dishes. Freedom with my time and freedom in space were deeply rooted only child needs of mine, and they still are. For this reason, I often cook while I clean so that when I sit down to eat, the only dishes left to do are the ones I'm using. To be clear, I don't ever need anyone else to do the dishes. However, on some level, until the dishes are cleared, I'm restless. This is a trunk beneath the branches. All true. I'm an introvert. Dishes are and have been my great escape. But time out, because most people don't mess with you when you're cleaning messy dishes. (laughs) So for me, dishwashing is sanctuary. It's service, but it's not selfless service, because it is equally self-satisfying. In my family of origin, server was my identity. Praise wasn't offered often, but service, to include dishwashing, seemed to please my folks. So my self-worth was rooted largely in my ability to serve others, read, people pleaser. Which is cool, except that for much of my life, pleasing other selves was one of the only things I valued about myself. Unconsciously, I then had a vested interest in choosing relationships with people who allowed me to do the only thing that made me feel valuable, serve even if my service was the only thing they valued about me. Could this also be true for the giving tree? In any case, therein lies my skin in the game, my vested interest, the root. Why is this important? Because the more myself has come to fully own why I do dishes, the less I overdo the dishes. The more I can set healthy boundaries to protect me from both draining myself and unconsciously allowing others to overuse me. The more able I am to let someone else do the dishes or just leave them for later without feeling crazily uprooted or upset or even use the actual automatic dishwasher every now and then. (laughs) Knowing that I'm still worthy of love and am valuable For me, learning to chill on the dishes is still an uphill climb. Painful for my inner child sometimes. But the adult me is now clear that balance is my highest good and is in my best interest. So the pleasure is all mine. Hallelujah. Today is the
4: fifth Sunday of the month, and so we have the gift and pleasure of being able to give to Cradle Rock Children's Center, an organization with roots right here in this congregation. To tell us how our money can help this organization continue growing the hearts and minds of our community's young ones, we have a video shared by a family whose son Bennett currently attends CCC.
6: My name's Regina. And I'm Ben. And our son Bennett, who is four years old, attends the Cradle Rock Children's Center. He's been going there since June of this year. And it's, we've had just a really wonderful experience at CC and wanted to, to share that today. Um,
5: Bennett goes to school excited. He's excited to learn. He wants to talk about you know his friends and the things that they're doing in the classroom. When he comes home in the evenings, he actually asks to stay later sometimes and spend more time with his friends.
6: Yeah, and this is actually Bennett's fourth center that he's been at, even though he's only four years old. And the reason is not only due to COVID, but each center that we tried and, and an in-home daycare that we tried, uh, he just really struggled and we weren't happy with the level of care that, that he was provided. Really, we had gone with some of the other centers because our, we were following the philosophy of, you get what you pay for. And so the more you pay for the center, the better the care, the better the, the uh, academic program. Um, and that just wasn't the case in our experience. He moved around to two of the highest, um, most expensive centers in the area, and, and we still just weren't happy. And we were constantly looking and thinking, where should we try next? Um, we were drawn to CCC um, a lot, mostly because of the sense of community that they, they had. I had seen online that they host like Thanksgiving dinners where they're literally bringing families in together to have a meal together and, and that sense of community meant a lot to us, uh, especially given that we don't have any family in the area close by. So that was really important. We have been ecstatic with the level of care and the guidance and the teaching that Miss Wendy and Miss Wanda, his teachers have provided. He absolutely loves them. Uh, so it's, it's meant the world to us. I think the other important thing is Bennett's always had a, a speaking problem. Um, he's struggled to communicate, struggled to verbalize what he needs. Um, and and he's only been at uh, CCC since June, but it, like there's been an explosion of his ability to communicate and talk, and I, I think it speaks yeah. a lot to how uh, his teachers handle um, his education and and guiding him and treating him like a, a a human being and and meeting him where he is. So we 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 love the school, we love the director, and. And uh, we appreciate you letting us share our story.
4: Our offertory music comes from the heart of Bill Withers. It's a 1972 blues about a soul who appears to his loved ones to be getting taken advantage of in his current relationship. However, from Bill's perspective, he and his lovers behind closed doors fusion in his is his principal pleasure. So the idea that he's being used is an optical illusion. We invite you to use this time to give of your abundance and to support the good works of Cradle Rock Children's Center. And as you give some of your gifts, please give a listen to some Bill Withers philosophy, his piece entitled, Use Me. Please use the instructions for donating that will show up on the slide or text CHALICE to 73256. You may also drop cash or checks into the basket in the back of the room, the offering will now be freely given and gratefully received.
7: My friends, is there a duty? 3, 2, 3, 2, 1,
3: Y'all digging this so far? To thine own self be true. What was true about my family of origin in the 1980s was that we did a lot of driving. And on the road, we listened to a lot of music. One of the songs I used to choose the most is called The Pleasure Principle from the classic 1986 Janet Jackson album, Control. Anybody know about this? Ironically, in my first 15-ish adulting years, control would be the principal root of almost all my relationships of choice in some very not-so-obvious ways, much like bass players are in control at the root note in very not-so-obvious ways. Of course, we bassists intend to use our powers for good and not for evil. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. In my adult friendships and relationships, I have almost always been the driver. Driving is a very necessary and much appreciated act of service, trusted responsibility, and I'm happy to serve. These are the apples, all true. The giver, AKA the driver, is in control. The driver gets to determine when, where, how much, and how long they're going to drive and how many passengers get to ride along. In my early driving years, I had had more than my share of painful and traumatic experiences of broken trust, accidents. And so I sought unconsciously to avoid being vulnerable to more of that pain. I didn't need to control my passengers. I very much needed to control our safe passage, which made it my pleasure to serve as the driver, but, It wasn't exactly selfless service, because it was also self-satisfaction and self-preservation. These are the branches behind the apples. All true. Many of my most pleasing family of origin memories are of us on the road. So driving is my happy place. And driving's sensations and motions are richly pleasing to me, kinesthetically. Also, much of my self-worth was rooted in my identity as driver. I valued my doing, not so much my being, because I didn't trust that I was enough on my own. In hindsight, I then chose people who valued me as much as I valued myself, and who valued the parts of my identity that I valued, namely driver. This is the trunk beneath the branches all true metaphorically speaking in those years I was a do-it-yourselfer I was happy to do all my own fixing or not I would not have chosen a relationship with a person who could help fix me aka a mechanic because I would have had to give up control read receive a painful uprooting of my family of origin values and letting someone else under my hood would have forced me to be vulnerable. And I would have had to give up being the giver, fixer, server, read, identity crisis. Could this have also been true for the giving tree? In any case, therein lies my skin in the game, my vested interest, the root. Twelve Octobers ago, I was driving a 2005 Nissan Murano, but it was not driving me, and I couldn't figure out why. I was clear that I wasn't happy in it, and that I seemed to always arrive at this crossroads in my vehicle relationships. Somewhere around a year-ish, I'd feel like something was missing, that the driving experience wasn't feeding me. And then, like the Buddha under his giving tree, I had this epiphany. I didn't know who I was as a driver or what I needed most from my driving experience or what I most needed to receive from my vehicle. Even if I had known, I wouldn't have felt worthy of receiving it. It There's a hell of a distance between knowing what you need and actually feeling worthy of and ready to receive what you need. So I did some root work. And figured out that the thing myself valued most was manual transmission. (laughs) Because for me, stick shift was the most depthful, soulful, sensual, and worthwhile kind of vehicle driver relationship experience. I got the most out of manuals, which means they also got the most out of me. I suddenly realized I spent my adult life driving a lot of automatics in my friendships and romantic relationships. But they hadn't been driving me, and not because they didn't want to, but because they couldn't. They weren't built that way, and some of them were just on cruise control. It just usually took about a year and a half for me to notice. Why is this important? Because the more I come to know who I am as a driver and own why I drive, the less I overdrive. The more I can set healthy boundaries to protect me from driving myself crazy or unconsciously choosing others who will drive me into the ground. The more able I am to let someone else drive from time to time without feeling crazily uprooted or upset or out of control knowing I am still valuable and worthy of love. The more I came to know my true self's best interests, the more intentional I could be about choosing two-way friendships and a truly complimentary stick-shift soulmate who is soulful, depthful, and balancing even through life's ever-shifting terrain and growing pains. And that pleasure is all mine. Hallelujah. In October 2002, Coldplay's lead singer Chris Martin met the actress Gwyneth Paltrow three weeks after the death of her father. Much of the first year of their love relationship involved him helping her process that loss and trying to comfort her through her grief. Those roots would give rise to what he describes as the most important song Coldplay has ever written and to Chris and Gwyneth's family of choice, which would branch out into 10 years of marriage and two children, one of which is actually named Apple. (laughs) This is a 2005 Coldplay composition called Fix You.
0: You try your best, but you don't succeed. When you get what you want, but not what you need, when you feel so tired, but you just can't sleep. Stuck in reverse. come streaming down your face when you lose something that you can't replace when you love someone but it goes to waste could it be we i
3: Everybody still rooted? To thine own self, be true. Dig, if you will, this picture. For all time, we humans have extended our gaze upward and inward, seeking a relationship with the universe's ultimate source force. For many, this human being, supreme being connection is the first long distance relationship. And so, you know, it's messy. For some, the God relationship is pleasurably uplifting, unconditional love, selfless giving. For others, painfully upsetting, exploitative narcissism, selfish manipulation. For many, it's all of the above. My family of origin spent a lot of time in church (laughs) our extended family's principal pleasure doing good work to please God our church family members spent almost all of their time and all of themselves giving fixing being of use and serving the Sunday morning message was often that we were inherently undeserving of love but the closer we were to becoming stumps, read used up, the closer we would be to God. We were the giving tree, which used to stump me. In theory, we were all seeking to get to the eternal pleasure place, heaven. But we spent almost all of our time talking about and trying to avoid the eternal pain place, hell. To me, self-preservation was the vested interest. On some level, our skin in the game was saving our skin in the afterlife. Many in our spiritual families also genuinely wanted to save humanity, truly believed that love was in everyone's best interests. I'd say this is probably true for most souls in most of humanity's major religions. But I often used to wonder, what if both heaven and hell were removed from the equation? How many humans would still be interested in the God relationship on its own? How many congregations would be suddenly empty? Not this one, of course. (laughs) To be clear, I think extended spiritual family is very necessary. In the world's communities and cultures it's good work it needs doing it's just good to know fully why you do it so you don't overdo it religion is one of two subjects of conversation that most humans consider forbidden fruit what do you think the other one is politics why do you think that is i think it's vested interests Political parties are another kind of extended family. It is the nature of humans to gather in communities and try to govern ourselves, as well as our collective interests and principles. Messy isn't even the word for these relationships these days. (laughs) All politics is local. How you vote is what is most true for you, your deepest values. It is an intimate snapshot of your root causes, your self-interest, and what you truly believe to be worthwhile. Not necessarily what you say to others that you value, but what values you actually choose. And there is often quite a distance between those two. See 2016 election and or 2020 election. Many humans would sooner tell you what most pleases them in the bedroom than what most pleases them in the voting booth. To be clear, I think political family is very necessary. It's good work and it needs doing. It's just good to know fully why you do it so you don't overdo it. Work family is another kind of extended family. My current work family is the US military, very much an extended branch of the America family tree. Sometimes, we appear to be a selfless olive branch. Sometimes, we appear to be a selfish accounting branch, protecting the principal balance of the state's self-interest. I'd say we're all of the above. Squarely rooted in the value of justice, which is what the heads of state determined to be the most valuable and most pleasing at the time. Sometimes, justly uplifting, the Civil War, Sometimes unjustly upsetting the Indian Wars. But the baseline is always interests. Quiet as is kept. Everywhere we have military bases or personnel, we have interests, and if we're not interested, we're not there. Work may be one's job or career. more often it is how one volunteers the work that you give yourself to that doesn't necessarily give you any physical pay, but to which you extend your time, your money, your body, your mind, your soul. For example, social justice work, very necessary, good work, and it needs doing. I had a chaplain colleague once, rabbi, fierce patient advocate, always went out of his way to make sure patients with speaking challenges Or language barriers could have their voices heard. He spoke English and Yiddish and loved language. He had a severe stutter in his childhood for which he was bullied and picked on. He worked hard to overcome it and he didn't want any other human to have to feel what he felt, so he was doing a great service for them and for his inner child. That was his root cause. I only know this because he overdid it a few times, drove a few nurses up the wall, and drove into a few head-on collisions with hospital higher-ups. His trauma was unconscious and mostly unhealed, which made him likely to project onto anyone he perceived needed protecting. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes, For me, in the deepest sense, The road to heaven is also paved with good intentions. In earthly life and or the afterlife, in Hebrew, hallelujah translates to praise God. In my understanding and experience, the work that lights you up at the deepest level is the work that will most light up the world through you. And it probably already is guiding other humans home. You just have to find it. And you in alignment with what you're most called to, your highest good, living into your light lovingly, is high praise. You becoming crystal clear about what you most value and rooted in your self-worth serves both you and the world in the most medicinal way. And it opens you up to choose complementary relationships in which giving and receiving flow abundantly. Sometimes the nature of life is that it will be painful. As Leonard Cohen once sang, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets through. I'd say the better angel and best interest of human nature is love. And I suspect God might say, love is most pleasing to my spirit. And when you all seek the most of that, the pleasure is all mine. Hallelujah. Please rise as you are able in mind, body or spirit, verses four through six of hallelujah.
0: Well, there was a time when you let me know what's really going on below. But now you never show it to me, do ya? But remember when I moved in you, when the holy dove was moving too, and every single breath we drew was hallelujah.
4: Was beautiful. All of you too. (laughs) Now is the time for our joys and sorrows. This is a practice that is a custom in our congregation where one can publicly and openly share a significant, meaningful event that has deeply touched their life. As I read the joys and sorrows, we will listen deeply and lovingly. We are made mindful of the sacredness of the ritual. When we cast a stone in the bowl of communal water, the ripples it forms symbolize how our lives touch one another. During the music meditation that follows, those of you who are in the sanctuary are welcome to come up and drop a stone silently. All right, and Anthony, one final stone, please. For all that is unsaid, but deeply felt in our hearts.
3: Music Meditation is um, a piece written by Jeff Porcaro of Toto, while they were recording Thriller. Um, his daughter had come home and been pushed on the playground by a classmate, and she asked him um, why, why did he do that, and he said, I think it's just human nature, that's why, and wrote up the lyric from there with John Bettis, made famous by Michael Jackson. Um, as you come to share stones um, silently, we'll offer you this piece from Jeff Picaro and John Bettis called Human Nature. Mm-hmm.
7: The night time the city wins sleepless hours
8: Set Healthy Boundaries by Topher Payne, an alternate ending to Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree, created for the Atlanta Artist Relief Fund Storytime. Once there was a tree, and she loved the little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide-and-go-seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much and the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come boy, come and climb up my trunk, and swing from my branches, and eat apples, and play in my shade, and be happy. I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy I want to buy things and have fun I want some money can you give me some money I'm sorry said the tree but I have no money I have only leaves and apples take my apples boy and sell them in the city then you'll have money and you'll be happy and so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away and the tree was happy But the boy stayed away for a long time, and the tree was sad. And then one day, the boy came back, and the tree shook with joy, and she said, Come, boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a spouse, and I want children, and so I need a house. Can you give me a house? And the tree said, Okay, hold up. This is already getting out of hand. Look, I was fine with giving you the apples to help you get on your feet. They'll grow back next season anyway. But no, I'm not giving you a house. You know, I've seen boys like you pull this nonsense with other trees in the forest. First, it's the apples, then branches, then the trunk. And before you know it, that mighty beautiful tree is just a sad little stump. Well, look here, boy. I love you like family, but I am not going down like that. And while we're on the subject, the tree said, grabbing him by the collar of his shirt, I recognize friendships evolve over time, and we may not see each other as often because you don't have time for your tree friends. But we used to be real tight. Now it feels like I only see you when you need something. How do you think that makes me feel? The boy took a long breath. He felt a sour rumble in his stomach, because he realized he hadn't considered his friend's feelings. I bet it makes you feel bad, said the boy. Yes, boy, bad. I can't even remember the last time you asked me how I'm doing. How are you, Tree? asked the boy. He sincerely wanted to know. So the tree told the boy all the gossip from the forest and introduced him to the family of red squirrels that had moved into her trunk. While she was glad for the company the squirrels provided, she was concerned about the long-term health effects of hosting a burrow. So the boy called the local arborist, who explained that squirrels don't eat wood. They only build nests in pre-existing holes, so the tree was in no danger. The tree was so relieved, and so was the boy. He loved his friend, and was concerned about her long-term health because she had taught him the importance of empathy. And so it continued, the tree and the boy looking out for each other like that, both of them content in the knowledge that someone had their back. The boy attended culinary school. The tree took courses online and got her certification in small business management. They did their homework together nearly every day. The boy became a pastry chef. Together, they opened a bakery selling the best apple pies anyone had ever tasted. It turned a profit in the first 18 months, which is most uncommon. Eventually, the boy had a child of his own. And much later, the child of the boy had children too. Because of their friendship, the boy was successful and fulfilled. And the tree grew wider and stronger standing tall and beautiful in the forest for many, many, many years. Plus, a few years even more than that. And as each generation played in her strong, old branches, the tree often thought back to the fateful day when the boy had asked her for a house. In truth, she would have gladly given him her branches to build one. She would have given him her trunk to build a boat. She loved him that much. But then she would have had nothing left, not for herself nor anyone else. And there never would have been a home for the red squirrels. There'd have been no hide and seek with the boy's grandchildren, no bakery with the best apple pies anyone ever tasted. Setting healthy boundaries is a very important part of giving. It assures you'll always have something left to give. And so the tree was happy. Everyone was the end.
4: Is that a true story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a true story he asks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this morning's final thoughts are branches rooted in your order of services centering thoughts. These words from At Life in a Well. In this world, everyone is working hard to get somewhere. It's a race without a finish line and everybody's on it. Some run alone while some run with others. Some give their hearts while others break. Some are given care while others are taken care of. Everyone needs something, everyone wants something, mostly just for themselves. But a few who also live for others, They are the different. Everyone in this world is self-centered. It's just the radius that differs.